Happy Sabbath. Thank you so much for opening up the stage to the students here. We are so appreciative of it. You have caught us at the last day of our annual Azu Spiritual Student Week of Worship. And this year's theme, as chosen by the Azu Spiritual team, is called To Be Determined, which reflects on the undetermined paths of our lives, that how we never truly arrive, but God is always with us. And I just would like to be explicit and say that this week would not be possible if it was not for the Azu spiritual team. I have the pleasure of working alongside many um, amazing people to make this week happen and other events happening on campus to impact the student body. So shout out to the Azu spiritual team members. You know who you are, and um, this week wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for you. At this time, I would love it if we could bow our heads for a moment and pray. Um, I'm quite terrified, to be honest with you, and I would so appreciate it if, as I am praying, you guys would also say a prayer to God for me. Dear Heavenly Father, it is so incredible to be able to come here to this church and worship you. Um, we have seen you move and worship through the worship service, through Ecantory, and even through Children's Story. And God, I pray that you will somehow, in some way, use me here. God, we have come expecting you to say something to us. And we don't want to leave this church the same person we were when we first entered into here. So I pray that we will leave here with our hearts refreshed, renewed, and inspired by you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. What does it mean to truly follow God? What does it actually mean to give your life to him? This is an aspect of Christianity that we often do not talk about. I have found that we often throw around buzzwords such as just have faith or believe in God or surrender and give your all and all to him. And I think there is a reason why we do not fully explain these buzzwords and phrases. And it is because what they actually mean and imply could be costly to our personal autonomy. There seems to be this need for us to promote Christian in this, Christianity in this way that hypes up religion and spirituality and promotes the brand Jesus. We ask people to sign the dotted lines of Christianity, and many of us have signed the dotted lines as well without talking about or addressing the fine print, which is come and die. At this point, I would like it if you would open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16. Or if you don't have your Bible with you, I encourage you to get out your phone and you can use the Bible app. Um, try not to go on Instagram. I know it'll be super tempting. Um, but, and if you need to make a quick download, I hope the church has good Wi-Fi so you can make that download for the um, version Bible, Bible app. So we are in the book of Matthew today, and Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and the first of the, of the Gospels, and it was written to a Jewish audience. And so a lot of the words in the book of Matthew is gonna be referring to Jesus as Messiah. Or a lot of times when it refers to Jesus, they'll be talking about how he has fulfilled a prophecy. Because the Jews were so concerned with finding their Messiah, and the prophets of old had talked about the coming Messiah, and Jesus came and said, hey, 
I am the person. I am the one fulfilling all of your promises, and, ev- and I am the one you have been talking about for thousands of years. And so here in Matthew chapter 16, uh, Jesus and his disciples had just come from Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus had talked to his disciples. They said, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, oh, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. And Jesus says, well, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus blesses him. So we jump in at Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Follow with me. It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But, Jesus took, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap for me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. So there are many things that strike me about this verse. I think one of them, first off, Jesus calling Peter Satan. I mean, think to the worst insult that someone has ever told you, the the worst name. And can you imagine the Son of God calling you Satan? I mean, that just strikes me. And I think the other thing that strikes me about this verse is the way that Peter is so strongly against Jesus dying. See, Jesus' response is this. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not God's. And other versions say this. You are not setting your mind on things of God, but things of man. You see, because all Peter was seeing was the death, and rightfully so, a crucifixion was a pretty gruesome death, and he was, and Peter had given up everything to follow Jesus. He left his family behind. He left, he left his job behind just so he could become a follower of Jesus. And now Jesus was going to die? Was all of this going to be over? And so all Peter could see was the death, even though Jesus had said, hey, I'm going to die, but guess what? I'm going to be resurrected. Peter couldn't even see the new life afterwards. He couldn't see the resurrection, the glorious promise that would come, which is the promise of the Holy Spirit that would not only empower him, but empower generations to come. He was so hung up on the part where God would give himself up for humanity that he couldn't see beyond the cross. And I can't help but wonder if I do that, if we do that, if we get so hung up on the part of surrendering our lives to God about actually letting God in and potentially reorienting our lives and giving him permission to enter in that we can't see to the other side. We can't see the abundant life that he is offering us. How many of us are like Peter? So notice Jesus' response to them. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. So first off, when Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, he isn't talking about becoming a follower on a social media platform like Instagram. Instagram. 
in which you find a profile that you like, right? You know, one that has the right aesthetics. Maybe it's someone that's living in Hawaii and drinks smoothies all the time. Or maybe it's someone that makes really cool videos or has a really cool design, and then all of a sudden their feed is going to pop up in your feed and you can like and, or comment on photos.、Um, Merriam-Webster defines that type of follower as one who subscribes to a feed, especially on social media. But there is another type of follower that we oftentimes interpret as us being followers, and Merriam-Webster describes it as this: one that follows the opinions and teachings of another. And so, usually, when we refer to ourselves as followers of Christ, we subscribe to this sort of follower. But I'd like to suggest today that when Jesus said, "Come, follow me," he was talking about a different sort of following. You see, being a follower in the first century went a little deeper than that.、Um, being a follower meant, by definition, that you were a disciple. When Jesus walked on this earth, he took on the role of being a rabbi. In fact, when you read the New Testament and when you read the Gospels, you find that the title、uh, rabbi is used to describe Jesus more than any other title in the Gospels. Rabbis were and still are teachers. Or masters, and they would go from town to town, traveling with their yoke, which was their way of interpreting the Torah. And they were experts in the Torah and are spiritual leaders of the Jewish community. And so, when Jesus would say, "Come and follow me," he was inviting people to come and live with him, and to come and do life with him. He was following. He was asking them to come, and I will be your teacher. And he would have followed the same guidelines of a rabbi at that day. Brad H. Young writes in his book *Meet the Rabbis*: "The disciple is willing to endure the hardship for his learning experience. The master teacher was a mentor whose purpose was to raise up disciples who would not only memorize his teachings but also live out the teachings in practical ways. The disciple walks with God by living out in practice the teachings of his rabbi." He goes on to say that Jesus developed a mentoring relationship with his disciples. Who learned his teachings by heart and followed his examples as apprentices. So, in other words, whatever the rabbi did, the disciples also did. When Jesus taught lessons on prayer and fasting, it was expected that the disciples would embody and live out those practices for themselves. And the classroom of a rabbi and disciple did not look like our fancy, high-tech, high-class classrooms that we have here at Walla Walla University. Um, but instead, they would learn in the fields, by the shores of a lake, or in an open courtyard. In other words, as a disciple, you would do life with Jesus. As a disciple, you would leave your past behind and embark on a journey of following your master. And you would not only learn the master's or the rabbi's teachings, but you would also live them out. Whatever the master did, you did as well. And so, when Jesus said, "Come, follow me," he was essentially saying, "Come, do life with me, be with me in all things. Let me teach you and show you my ways. I don't want to just have a part of your life. I want to have all aspects of your life, and I want you to also be a part of my life." We see the problem is is that we in the Western world. Have divided our lives into this nice, neat little tidy pie chart, 
where we have compartmentalized our sleep, our work, our education, our social lives, our relationships, oh, and then our spiritual lives. Peter Scazzaro writes in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which I highly recommend everyone read. He says, it is so easy to compartmentalize God, relegating him to Christian activities around church and our spiritual disciplines without thinking of him in the way we navigate our marriages, discipline our children, spend our money, enjoy our recreation, or even study for exams. So in the process of only viewing God as someone that is at church, that is at um, prayer meetings, at Hubach worship, or at Vespers, we have forgotten to let our Christian life actually affect the way we treat all the other aspects of our life. You see, because the call to be a Christ follower is to adapt Jesus' definition of what it means to be a follower, and that is everything is spiritual. Your job whether it is in marketing, whether you are a doctor, whether you're a nurse, whether you are a janitor or a teacher, your job is your calling to minister to people in the workplace. Your relationships, whether it's with a significant other, whether it is with your parents or your children, they are an opportunity for you to represent Christ and embody his unconditional love for other people. Even your eating and your sleeping is spiritual because they remind you of your humanity and how so desperately we need a savior to satisfy our basic needs. And your education is spiritual because it is a gift. God has given you this gift of education for you to be here, for him to equip you through other people to then go out and serve the world and make it a better place. Everything is spiritual. So we get to Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my disciple, my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. So doesn't that seem a bit extreme? Is Jesus just exaggerating right here when he gets to this part? Does he actually mean what he says. Because you and I both know that when a teacher asks you to read 100 pages over the weekend, we're not reading the whole thing. We're going to be skimming it, right? You know, we're going to look for the bold letters, right? The key words, highlight those, and then end up writing a three-page double-space, times new over in 12-point font, one-inch margin paper without, you know, reading the full thing. So does Jesus mean to just skim? Does Jesus mean this? Now this whole concept of choice or sacrificing or making thing a priority might seem very ascetic to most. It might seem like an extreme sect of Christianity that we don't want to talk about. We're like, I don't want to associate with those Christians over there. They're a little extreme, right? And especially in today's day and age, this topic is nearly taboo, both in the secular and in the Christian world. However, I would like to submit to you today that the concept of sacrifice really isn't that uncommon. You see, there are people in this world that for 30 days will not eat any sugar, they will not eat any bread, they will not go to the patisserie and get a queen of in there, they will not drink coffee from the Atlas, <laughs> they will not do anything like that because they are having a Whole30 diet, right? And so they will sacrifice the pleasure of having such good food 
to eat whole foods for 30 days. There are people that will wake up at 5 or 6 a.m. and sacrifice sleep so that they can get their bodies, as the kids say, swole. You have people that will train for a marathon or train as an Olympian so they can win one race, and they will sacrifice a social life. They will sacrifice sleep and eating, and they have such a strict workout regimen, they might even sacrifice school for this. And we idolize those people. Wow, look at how much you are giving up so you can win that one race. I do this all the time, giving up time to binge watch a TV show over Christmas break. Can I get a witness? You know, um, <laughs> Some people sacrifice family time, precious family time, so they can pursue a career, so they can move up in the world. Some people will sacrifice a good reputation to fit in with other people. Other people sacrifice money in order to look the part, to fit in, in order so that people might like them more. And we sacrifice time and energy in order to please other people, saying yes to everything when we have nothing to really give. So we will always be choosing something to occupy our time and to exert energy upon. So what is the problem? What do we have to fear? What is it that we are holding on to? Why are we like Peter and are so afraid of the part where Jesus asks us to give up our own way, take up our cross, and follow him? If you think about it, we as Christians believe in some pretty crazy, weird things. Around Christmas time, you start hearing the words uh, virgin birth, and we talk about, oh yeah, so there's this lady named Mary, she was a virgin, and she gave birth to the Son of God as if that is a normal thing that happens, and we completely normalize and sing songs about it. We talk about the parting of the Red Sea as if that is something that happens all the time in nature, you know, an entire nation walking across the water on dry land. Oh, yeah, that happened. Or we talk about creation and how God breathed out stars, created this world, made human beings, as if that is just a normal thing that happens, right? So we have all these crazy, beautiful miracles in the Bible and pictures of God So why is it so hard to believe this to be true about our lives? Why is it so hard to take God up at his his promises that if we were to lose our life, we would find it in him? And we would find that he would restore it back in more abundant ways than we could ever find possible. Just imagine what our lives would look like if we genuinely believed all that God says. The reality is that many of us will have this desire. Okay, I want to embody this. I want to take up my cross. I want to deny myself. And I I give God permission to open, you know, to come into my life, to do what he needs to do. We'll leave here with our hearts burning for God, you know, inspired by the amazing students that have poured out their heart here on this stage. And we'll invite God in. And, you know, the reality is that when you give God permission to do heart work on your life, he will do it, right? And so he might actually start to do some hard work on you, convicting you of self, exposing areas in your life that you've kept hidden, not only from other people, but from yourself. And then all of a sudden it stops. Maybe because it's too painful. Maybe because you think, oh, I, I didn't know, I didn't want to know this about myself. Or maybe, just maybe, the noise of the world gets a little louder and louder and you get distracted. 
For me, it is the latter, distraction. Ronald Rollheiser says this, we, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It is just that we are habitually too occupied with any of these to show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. And John Mark Comer writes in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, the number one problem you will face is time. People are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. This has been true for my life. I feel as though the mantra of my time here at Walla Walla University has been piling on as much as I can on my plate, saying yes to everything, engaging in as many social events as I can find possible. And as a result of saying yes to everything, of sacrificing for everything, I've neglected to say yes and to sacrifice my life to the best thing. I actually remember standing up here as a freshman, speaking for Student Week of Worship and confessing to the student body that I continually overcommit myself. I say yes to things way too often, I'm a people pleaser, and as a result, I compromise certain things and get burned out. And I stand up here today still struggling with the same thing. I have realized that a lot of this comes from a spot of insecurity that maybe if I say yes, people will like me more, or maybe it comes from a point of pride that maybe I think I'm the only one that can do it. Now I wonder how much of these distractions that are good things, they're not bad things per se, have prevented me from living a full life with my creator. The call to come and follow me, do life with me, Watch as I offer you a fuller, more abundant life than the one you are currently living is clouded in the noise and distraction that so often plagues us. And maybe I have been filling my life with the things and allowing myself to be distracted and I don't have time to actually surrender and give my heart to God. That I am too busy to take up my cross and to do life with God, to take time to really listen to him. Or maybe I'm afraid like Peter of what giving my life to God would really look like, of what it would cost me, my autonomy, and so I'm afraid to actually surrender and give my heart to God. Or maybe we have filled our lives with so many voices and things because we are afraid of what we would find in the silence. We have purposely surrounded ourselves with noise because the silence is terrifying, because we are afraid of what we might find in the stillness. And so I wonder, have I traded my status as a follower of God to being a mere observer of God? My prayer for this week the thing that the Azu spiritual team and I have been praying over is that we would not leave this week as mere observers of God. 
but that we would actually become followers of him, that we would do life with God, that we wouldn't be satisfied with just going to church, going to Vespers, but that we would actually live our lives as followers because our lives aren't gonna be changed from an initial decision to accept him into our life. Yes, that is the first step, but I'm gonna tell you that the call of Christ isn't to simply believe in him. Jesus didn't go around asking people, hey, come believe in me. Hey, come believe in me. I want you to believe in me. No, the call is to come follow me. Come do life with me. I want to have all of your life, not just the part that you're reserving for church, but I want to have everything. So what will following God mean for you? What will it look like for you to invite him into all aspects of your life? Not just the part where you show up to church, but your everyday life and your commonplace activities. What is it that you might be holding on to that like Peter, you are afraid of what becoming a Christ follower might imply? I pray that this week, we as individuals and a collective community in the Walla Walla Valley would embrace this call. That in this limbo of to be determined, of not having everything in life sorted out, we would take the risk and just see what would happen we accepted the call of him. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me.